Hi, this is Ken Robinson. Get ready for a great conversation. But remember, every Tuesday, there's a new edition of Audio Antiques from the K-Rob Collection, featuring highlights from the golden age of American radio on many of these same podcast platforms. is Conversations with Ken. I'm Ken Robinson. Thanks for listening. Hey, our transition music is performed by H Beats. That's H Beats with a Z. H Beats makes any presentation sound better. Find out how H Beats can improve your presentation. Just email hbeats330 at gmail.com. Before we go any further, I'd like to give a shout out to our many listeners around the world. Let's start by saying hello to our listeners in Akron, Ohio, USA. Also, our friends in Wheeling and Arlington Heights, Illinois. Plus, we'd like to greet our friends in Berlin, Hamburg, and Brandenburg, Germany. Also, our friends in Australia, India, the UK, and Spain. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast channel, The Ken Robinson Show's. And this particular show is called Conversations with Ken, where we're going to take a look at electric cars right after this break. A credit card is handy, whatever you'd like to buy. Simply take your card of credit and go get it. Use your credit card to purchase the hottest, most fashionable t-shirts on the scene today. Quality premium t-shirts from Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing at plclothing.store. Based in Scottsdale, Arizona, Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing features the most distinctive t-shirts ever imagined. That's because Panoramic is a vision that moves in all directions. So use your credit card and check out the exclusive collection at plclothing.store. That's plclothing.store. A credit card is Whatever you'd like to buy Simply take your card of credit And go get it Welcome back to Conversations with Ken. I'm Ken Robinson. You know, they say electric cars are the coming thing, that they're going to take over the automotive world. But it seems a lot of people have questions about electric vehicles. Let's find out now from Jim Garrity of the American Automobile Association. They've done a survey about how Americans feel about electric vehicles. And Jim, seems like uh, they have a lot of questions, huh? Yeah. So as part of AAA's annual electric vehicle survey that we've been doing uh, in in recent years, we're finding a few different things. Uh, One of the more interesting things that we found in this is that uh, the the Americans who responded to the survey, when asked if they think most vehicles will be electric by 2029, only four in ten of them said yes. But if you look at the same time frame, 
uh, more Americans, according to a, according to a survey, more Americans think that self-driving cars will be a reality, uh, which electric vehicles, it appears at this point, will probably will probably come on faster and in a quicker time frame for Americans than self-driving vehicles, autonomous vehicles. Uh, and also, 40 million Americans say that they would likely consider an electric vehicle for their next car purchases, uh, with millennials leading the pack, uh, as we see things such as range anxiety and, um, and, and any other objections regarding buying electric are starting to starting to fade. Uh, and we're seeing more Americans saying that they're concerned about going green or saving some money, and in the long term, that is. Well, that's that's kind of interesting because it seems like uh, people aren't really comfortable with self-driving cars, but they think that uh, they seem to be more open to it than electric cars. Is is that my correct interpretation? <laughs> uh, let me see. In terms of uh, I, well, according to a survey that we that we put out this year, more than half of Americans believe that most cars will be able to drive themselves. I'd have to go up. I have to go actually look into that to see how they felt about that. I believe we that was part of it. Um, but I, I mean, in, ter- in terms of where Americans are, in terms of where Americans are in their headspace, uh, in, we're, we're seeing, uh, according to these surveys, that a lot of Americans are interested in electric vehicles. Um, now, why don't more Americans think most cars will be electric in ten years? Well, similar similar to fully self-driving cars, electric vehicles are. Uh, somewhat of a mystery for many Americans. Uh, for most people, 10 years might not seem like that far away. Uh, it might be difficult for them to imagine swapping gas stations on the corner for charging stations. But uh, as vehicle technology and infrastructure are evolving and becoming more and more automated in that way, uh, it's likely that more cars will be electrified in the next decade. I mean, even when you look at the amount of when you look at the amount of uh, charging stations. There's more than 20,000 charging stations across the country, which is partly helping to ease anxiety about running out of electricity while you're on the roadways. Uh, but it's definitely it's definitely looking more and more like uh, one of the ways of the future. Yeah, how about that? You know, it's uh, in a way, I guess it's uh, kind of uh, interesting that one in four people in the survey said that. Uh, uh, most vehicles will be electric by 2029, because you don't really hear people talking about it a whole lot, but for 40% of the population to think that we could have, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, electric vehicles in 10 years, I I suppose that's Mm -hmm. that's an interesting uptick. And if you think about it, the the technology is already being, is already being, uh, being integrated into, uh, many of the vehicles on the roadways today. When you look at when you look at some of the highest-rated electric vehicles or vehicles that incorporate this, this this hybrid electric technology, you wouldn't expect to see something like a big Ford F-150 on the list, but it is. You know, the, the vehicles are incorporating this technology more and more, and we believe at AAA that the more exposure and interaction consumers have with electric vehicles, the more likely that it'll help dispel any preconceived notions they may have about style, performance. And, uh, and and range range is is, is, a, is a huge part of it. Now we've seen those uh, Tesla models on the road, and people those are kind of like a prestige car right now, and and that's kind of turning uh, some heads. But has that translated into people going to showrooms and saying, well, what other electric vehicles 
are out there that I can buy that, that are maybe more affordable? I don't have specific data about, let's say, how many people are walking around and walking around the lots and shopping. But, you know, you're seeing from more and more auto manufacturers who are actually saying most of, if not all of our vehicles, are going to be electric, and then they, they put a time stamp on it, whether it's 2025, 2030. Um, you're seeing more and more reports of that in the news. So something's definitely happening here. Um, and charging infrastructure has improved. Like I mentioned, we have more than 20,000 charging stations throughout the country. Uh, but it does seem like there's more work that will be done in that area as well. For a lot of people who may feel like they're on the fence about buying an electric vehicle or considering it, because definitely we see a lot of Americans who say that they're interested, they're interested in it, uh, whether it's to save money in the long term in terms of gasoline or in terms of repairs or to just go more green and, and have a more positive effect on the environment. Uh, anyone who's interested in electric vehicles but may feel unsure about certain things should spend as much time researching and learning as much as they can because this technology changes every day. And as we're seeing, it's becoming more and more prominent. So th- things that may have been a concern a year or two ago uh, are, aren't so much anymore for anybody considering or currently owning an electric or hybrid vehicle of any kind. Now, you mentioned that uh, there is some anxiety about electric cars, but it looks like, according to your survey, it's coming down. I mean, it's coming down in, in, in uh, by double-digit uh, percentages. Yeah, ra- and range anxiety is the biggest. It's, it, it, it's the biggest one that we've seen as an issue um, over the years, I should say. And it and with more and more charging stations popping up across the country, more than twenty thousand, uh, that is starting to dispel. I mean, I, I I could even say anecdotally, I'm just seeing them around more when I'm going out places. You're, you're seeing more. It's not just, and it's not even just gas stations. Some businesses are even incorporating these charging stations into their parking lots. So I think that when you see that out more and more, it kind of puts electric vehicles on your mind more and more. Uh, and if you were already maybe the type of person who was considering it as an option, that may be giving you a little bit more of a uh, a little bit more of a, a a safe feeling about well, if I'm out driving, there's at least going to be somewhere for me to charge up. Just like there's a gas station on every corner, uh, that puts you in a position that that you're feeling a little bit less anxiety about really just running out of the quote-unquote fuel on the road. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it looks like people are still concerned about uh, the high cost of uh, battery battery repair or replacement and and the high purchase price. Uh, They they still seem to be pretty uh, pricey vehicles right now. Mm -hmm. And... um, and it's like it's likely that as these technologies develop further and further, uh, those prices will come down in the years ahead. And that may, you know, that that may be something that even pushes uh, interest up higher, or potentially people saying, "Okay, now is the time that we, we can buy one of these vehicles." Now, AAA has also put out a uh, 2019 green car guide. Now, that's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. And you have a number of vehicles. Uh, uh, on the list. Uh, so what's the what's the greenest car of all? The AAA Top Green Car Award winner is going to be the 2019 Jaguar I-Pace EV400 HSE. Uh, and then you have some other, and then you have several categories on the list. Uh, subcompact car goes to the 2019 Chevy Bolt Premier. Compact car, 2018 Nissan Leaf. Uh, and the most green midsize car goes to the 2018 Tesla Model 3. 
So when you hear that, and, you, and, and the large car award goes to another Tesla, the Model S P100D, when you hear the word Tesla and when you hear the, the, the brand Tesla on the list of the top green cars uh, when it comes to electric vehicles, it definitely doesn't come as a surprise to anybody. But to the point that these vehicles are becoming more and more prominent and more and more companies are, are integrating the technology, you know, we see vehicle brands on the list of top green car awards Jaguar, Chevy, Nissan, uh, and there's even a pickup truck, the Ford F-150 4x4 Supercrew. That is a fairly green vehicle in terms of pickup trucks. So even pickup trucks, which kind of come along with this, uh, will come along with this classical idea that they are big gas guzzlers, well, even they are worthy of taking a look at because they're incorporating the technology. Mm, how about that? Yeah. What, when you see the uh, Chevy Bolt Premier, and the uh, Toyota Camry SE. Well, the Toyota Camry is under uh, $30,000. So that's kind of like uh, that, that price is starting to come down. And the uh, Chevy Bolt is a is a subcompact car. I'm sure it's it's pretty reasonable, too. So I, I would imagine that the people are going to start taking a look at these at some point, especially with gas prices going up with, with <laughs> all, and, and, all around the world yeah, right now. And, and, and back to what you and back to what you were saying about where, where people have concerns about just just the cost of buying the vehicle up front. Uh, you do have examples of vehicles that are incorporating this technology under thirty thousand. And as it becomes more and more prominent, and you know potentially you see more and more uh, competition with getting this technology into the vehicles and satisfying this uh, this this urge that we're seeing more and more Americans uh, showing. Uh, that price may come down in years ahead, just as we're seeing concerns about charging locations, uh, cost of battery repair, repairs, uh, per, and um, you know running out of charge while driving. All these concerns are coming down more and more as we're seeing more and more Americans familiar with what's going on with the green car, electric car, hybrid vehicle world. Uh, we recommend a AAA for anybody who's even remotely interested, not just inform yourself, but Consider picking up the AAA Green Card Guide. It, it really is a complete guide to all these eco-friendly vehicles. Um, it, 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 it doesn't only help to find a quote-unquote green car, but it can also explain differences between various fuel-efficient vehicles that incorporate the electric technologies. Uh, and it can show you the pros and cons, and it's really a good place to start. It's a good jumping-off point if you're considering looking out into your driveway and seeing something electric and uh, putting that, that charging station in your garage instead of heading down the street to the gas station. And where can they find that guide? If you contact your local AAA office, they should be able to help you if you want to get a physical copy of it. Uh, you can also find it at aaa.com slash green car. And a uh, yeah, printed version is going to be available to members at no charge. Any AAA member can pick this up, and the general public can uh, can also purchase it for $8.99. And again, your local AAA branch should be able to help you out with that. Well, it sounds good. 200,000 electric uh, vehicles on the roads right now. I guess it's sure to uh, grow. Who, who would have thought it would uh, take off like this? With yeah, it's kind of the, kind of... Uh, it's, it's something you would think uh, <laughs> not, not too long ago. It would seem like something out of a science fiction movie, all these electric cars on the roadways. Um, but you're seeing more and more of them. And just anecdotally speaking, when I see these cars passing me, they're looking more and more like, you know, quote unquote, normal classic cars. They don't look, they don't look so much uh, like, oh, that's an electric car. That's an electric car. They're 
<laughs> it's like they're starting to blend in with all everything else on the roadway, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, and I know AAA has always been big on uh, you know reliability, you know keeping cars running well and not getting stranded, that kind of thing. Are electric cars more reliable? I mean, do they have fewer parts and you know the standard internal combustion vehicle? And uh, is there a better reliability uh, from electric vehicles uh, uh, now or in the future? Do you think? Well, having those having those fewer moving parts is definitely uh, is you know in theory when you think about it, fewer moving parts does put you at at an advantage of having less less items that would break. Uh, in terms of specific data, I don't have that in front of me, but I do know that the automotive industry and the um, and I, I, I should say the automotive repair industry has been making adaptations over the years, uh, and not just not just to adapt to these technologies and electric vehicles, but also to adapt to hybrid vehicles. Uh, and you're seeing more and more shops have to familiarize themselves with more electric technical aspects because you're seeing it more and more on the roadways. Um, and as these vehicles age, uh, you may see them more and more in the shops. So these shops are preparing as such. No, I think, I, it, I think it's interesting. If anybody, if anybody is even considering it, you know, familiarize yourself. Uh, whether you think it's cool, you want to save some money in the long run on, on you know, long-term repair costs or gasoline, or you want to, uh, or you want to just do something nice for the, uh, for the, for the environment around you. If, if it's something you're interested in, check out aaa.com slash green car uh, and familiarize yourself with this, with this technology, which is quickly becoming more and more, available and prominent on the roadways. That's Jim Garrity of the American Automobile Association talking about their survey about electric cars and how Americans feel about this coming trend. Well, coming up next, credit cards. You know, you may be using them the wrong way. We'll find out from a credit card analyst right after this break. Our transition music is by H-Beats, who can improve the quality of any presentation. That's H-Beats with a Z at the end. See how H-Beats can improve your presentation with a quality musical soundtrack. Contact H-Beats330 at gmail.com. You're listening to Conversations with Ken. I'm Ken Robinson. You know, just about everybody has a credit card these days, but you know, a lot of folks are unaware of the negative impacts of cutting ties with credit cards. You know, once you pay them off, you just get rid of them. Maybe that's not a good idea. We'll find out from Ted Rossman, a credit card analyst at bankrate.com. They've done a survey, and they've discovered that a lot of people have canceled their credit cards, not realizing the implications of doing that. Right, Ted? That's right. So I want to draw the distinction here First of all, I love the idea of paying off debt. That really has to be a priority, especially for credit cards, because the interest rate is so much higher than you're going to get on other loans like mortgages and car loans. The average credit card rate is about 18%. So we definitely want you to pay that off in full. But when it comes to older accounts, maybe accounts you're not using as much, I think you should leave those open because it's going to help your credit score. And that's really for two main reasons. One is that the credit bureaus like to see a long history, and the other is because they like to see a low credit utilization 
ratio. And what I mean by that is the amount of credit you're using divided by the amount available to you. So that's where having more open accounts, more available credit, can actually help your score. How dramatic can can that help be if you have a you know a lot of uh, old credit cards that you, you maybe you only use occasionally or maybe not at all? It can be significant. Now, like all things credit score, the methodology is a little murky. But my best guess is that if you cut your credit utilization ratio, you could improve your score by twenty, thirty, even forty points. And I'm basing that on industry experience, but also some personal experience. I have a good credit score. And even so, I was able to improve it about 20 points recently by making some additional payments mid-month. I know this is getting a little inside baseball or, or sort of geeking out on credit scores, but what I'm talking about is paying your bills even before the statement arrives so that your utilization is going to look really low. Put it this way, even if you pay your bills in full, if you charge a couple thousand dollars during the month, maybe $2,000, and you only have a $3,000 limit, even if you pay it in full, that's going to look like you're using a lot of your available credit, about two-thirds. So in that case, what you might want to do is make an extra payment, knock that down. Every little bit helps. You know, if you're at 60% now, try to get it down to 50, and then try to get it to 40 Below 30 is ideal, uh, but you really can help your score by throwing in some extra payments. Wow. So a lot of times we know a big credit card bill is coming because we made a big purchase. (laughs) And we know pretty much the same time of the month that that's going to be due. So let's say you buy something for like $600 and you know it's going to be coming due in a month or so. Maybe right after you make that purchase, if you paid off all of that or part of that, it gives your credit score a boost? It does, because what gets reported to the credit bureaus is the month end amount, whatever comes on that statement. So, you know, we want you to pay in full, but this is sort of a double step. This is like even more than paying in full, this is paying super early. And especially if you're in the market for a mortgage or an auto loan, and you really care about your credit score these days, you really want it to be as good as possible, this can actually have a pretty sizable impact on your score. Wow. Now, you've done a study that shows that 129 million people don't realize the negative impacts of canceling their credit cards. There's a a lot lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, we found that 13% actually incorrectly believe that canceling a card helps your score. 15% wrongly think it has no effect at all. We found 29% who just threw up their hands and said, yeah, I don't know. Um, So altogether, yeah, it's about 6 in 10 of us that are unaware of the potential consequences of canceling a card. And one of your findings is 61% of American cardholders have canceled at least one credit card including 37% that have canceled more than one. And I guess they don't realize how that's affecting their credit score. In general, I really like the idea of keeping these older accounts open. Now, if you're paying an annual fee on a card, that's one time that you might think, oh, yeah, of course, I'm going to cancel it. I'm not using this card, right? What I would suggest instead is do what's called a product change. So call up the card company ask them to switch to a no annual fee card that they offer. 
it's going to keep your available credit line. It's going to keep that good long history that you've built up, but it's going to remove the fee. And that's the key there. Removing that fee means really the, the card isn't costing you anything, so you can keep it around for as long as you want. And that's what's so important about credit scores and credit cards in general is figure out what works for you. So when it comes to picking the right cards, you know, what's your lifestyle? What do you spend your money on? What do you want to get out of your rewards? Are you carrying a balance? If so, don't worry about rewards. Prioritize your interest rate and your debt first and then go after the rewards second. We definitely outgrow cards. I mean, things change, life changes, the financial industry changes. So by all means, open new cards when it makes sense, but keep the old ones in the background. It'll actually really help your score. Now, a lot of people are uncomfortable with having a lot of older cards that they don't use because they're concerned maybe about hackers, maybe somebody getting their credit card number or maybe the credit card company being hacked into and uh, they start ringing up a lot of charges. Is that a, is that a valid concern? I have heard that expressed by some people. I'm not so concerned about it and here's why. First of all, everybody should be checking their credit report at least a few times a year. You can get it for free at annualcreditreport.com. What I like to recommend is get one every four months. So there's three main bureaus, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion. You get one of those a piece every year. So I would say spread them out, check every four months, and look for anything suspicious. Suspicious activity could be odd charges on your existing accounts. It could also be a newly created account that you don't recognize. That could actually be a very harmful form of identity theft. So we want to be looking for these things anyway. And when it comes to payment fraud, that's not so much of a concern for me just because credit cards are really good at offering zero liability to consumers. It's very easy to get a fraudulent transaction wiped off your account. You won't have to pay it, assuming you report it promptly, and then you'll just get a new card number and then you'll be on your way. Now, I understand uh, credit card holders are more likely to have closed a card if they have higher incomes. Well, if they have higher incomes, do they really care about care about their credit credit report <laughs> or, or 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 their credit rating because they can probably just pay cash, right? It's a fair point. We all should care about our credit score, though. It really is your most important financial number. It's going to affect whether or not you get approved for loans, and even if you do, it's going to affect the kinds of interest rates you're paying. To be clear. Canceling a credit card, in most cases, is not going to have a dramatic effect on your score. But what I'm talking about is trying to wrangle those extra few points. And, and sometimes it really matters. If you're on the border of one credit tier versus another, that could make a big difference on what rate you get or whether you get the loan at all. We found in general, as you said, higher income people more likely to cancel. Also, older people and Midwesterners are more likely to have canceled cards. Any idea why? Why the older people and the people in the Midwest? I think some of it, especially with the older folks, is just they've had more opportunities to cancel. We found millennials are the least likely to have canceled, but I think some of this just speaks to longevity, and baby boomers have had several 
decades now um, with an opportunity to open and perhaps close different cards. So I think some of that's just a function of having more years under their belts. And we're generalizing here, but in general, the Midwest has a little bit of an older population than some of the other parts of the country. So I think there may be some correlation there. Younger people, especially millennials, probably don't have enough credit uh, and they want uh, maybe to raise their credit rating. Can can this help them, you know, get a higher uh, credit ceiling on their credit cards? This is really starting to change. I thought this was a really interesting aspect of the report. Older millennials, 30 to 38-year-olds, actually have more credit cards than any other age bracket. Those older millennials have 4.6 credit cards on average. And I think it really breaks down this stigma that as recently as a few years ago, everybody was saying millennials don't want credit cards and they're just so debt-averse. That really started to change in the summer of 2016 when the Chase Sapphire Reserve card came out. And it's very millennial-friendly with its travel perks and airport lounge access and free global entry and TSA pre-check. And that really touched off this arms race for card companies trying to offer lucrative sign-up bonuses. And we know that millennials are really gravitating to those, especially when they involve travel. So there's been some big changes there. And I think it's a good thing that millennials are both card-savvy and debt-averse at the same time, because the ideal scenario is get the card, use it for the perks, but then pay it off before you owe any interest. How many credit cards should the average person have? It's a personal decision. I would say for most people, two or three or four is probably a good number. Uh, I know some people, though, that have 30 credit cards, and they have really good credit because they pay these bills in full, and you know, they have a lot of available credit, and they don't use that much, and all these things reflect positively. But for the average person, you don't need to go crazy. Maybe a couple of cards. Yeah, I know earlier you mentioned that one of the reasons why people cancel their credit cards is because interest rates are too high. Interest rates do seem to be very high. Some, sometimes, you know, I've seen rates, you know, like 25%, some 30%. Is the interest rate the number one thing you should think about when you're signing up for a credit card, or is it all the other stuff, the the, the perks and the annual fee and, the, you know, the, the uh, you know, those those rebates or whatever it is you get for cash back, you know? About 6 in 10 credit card holders carry debt from month to month. And this is a really big issue because interest rates are at record highs. We've been tracking this for more than 30 years, and we find that right now rates are the highest they've ever been. The average for people with good credit is about 18%. The average for people with lesser credit is about 25%. And there are isolated instances, especially on store-branded cards, that are in the 30% range. These are all huge numbers. And if you ever carry a balance, that threatens to wipe out the value of any rewards you might earn and then some. Because you picture 2%, 3%, even 5% cash back or travel points, that pales in comparison to these interest rates that I'm talking about. So if you pay your bills in full, if you're in that 40%, Absolutely. Have at it. Rewards are awesome. But if you have debt, forget rewards. Look for a low-rate card. 
Better yet, a balance transfer card. There are 0% offers for as long as 21 months. Where can you find those low uh, interest rate uh, credit cards? You have to do a lot of searching for that, I would, I would imagine, especially if you're trying to get down into the 12%, 10% range. We have a really good listing on creditcards.com and bankrate.com, two related sites um, about zero interest cards. And that's where you'll find attractive balance transfer offers. There's three that I really like that offer no interest for 15 months. And they don't charge transfer fees. This is an important distinction because most balance transfer cards will hit you up front with a 3% or a 5% fee. Um, but the Amex Everyday, the Chase Slate, and the Bank AmeriCard don't charge a transfer fee, and they offer 15 months with no interest. I really like those for people who have existing debt. It's a great tailwind to help you get out of it. If you're more in the market for a low ongoing rate, then you might want to include some credit unions in your search. We do find a lot of credit unions that have rates more in the 7 8 9% range. Some examples would include Pentagon Federal Credit Union, Navy Federal, USAA. Uh, these are all examples of low rate ongoing offers. That's really low. So I would imagine that you'd, you'd probably be best, if you were looking for a low-rate card, it probably would be best to look uh, for a card tied to a credit union or a, a local bank. In general, credit unions and community banks are going to offer lower ongoing rates. I would say, though, that even 7 8 9%, while it's much lower than the average on credit cards, even that can have a detrimental effect on your finances if you're paying that for any length of time. So that's where the 0% balance transfer idea, which are widely available from banks both big and small, uh, that's a really great thing to hopefully help you get out of debt quickly. There's even a whole bunch of 0% cards that offer no interest on new purchases for up to 20 months. That 20-month offer is the U.S. Bank Platinum Visa card, and that's great if you have new purchases, like maybe you're buying a house and you have all these expenses with moving and buying new furniture and maybe doing some renovations. If you're making a whole bunch of new purchases and you need some time to spread them out, I would look at a card like that. So you really have to be a savvy shopper when you're getting a credit card. It can't be a, you know, a, an impulse thing. You have to do your, a, a lot of research. It really pays to shop around. We found in a different study that about one in three credit card holders have had their go-to card for more than a decade. And there's about another 10% or so that have never switched their favorite card. So it is really important to look at different comparison sites like Bankrate and CreditCards.com and just see what else is out there. See what's out there in terms of better interest rates, maybe better rewards. If you haven't compared cards in a while, you might be surprised, pleasantly so, at what you would find because it's a really competitive market. So these companies are really tripping over themselves to acquire new customers. Kind of like your car insurance always pays to shop around to see if the rates have changed and if you can get a better deal somewhere else. I think that's a good comparison. It is because car insurance is competitive. Credit cards represent a very competitive market. The card issuers have actually gotten kind of sick of this arms race. So they're becoming more and more wary of the sign-up bonus just because a lot of people were gaming that and 
paying just enough to get the bonus and then moving on to another card. So we're seeing a lot of the best incentives nowadays are shifting more towards ongoing value, maybe something like 4% back at restaurants because that's something that people do a lot and it keeps that card at the top of the wallet or 6% back on groceries or you know, in some other cases, we see things like a tiered sign-up bonus where like the Wells Fargo Propel card did this recently. You get $300 if you spend 3000 in the first three months, but then if you spend another $12,000 over that first year, they'll give you an extra 200 bucks. So lots of things are out there to try to incentivize customers to be loyal uh, rather than just the quick bang and then they move on to something else. And we're seeing a lot of gas uh, gas companies do that, gasoline companies, you know, with uh, giving a lower, uh, you know, uh, prices for gas because you have one of their credit cards. Are those a good deal, too? Gas cards make the most sense if you're really loyal to a specific chain. If you're always fueling up at the same chain store, then it might make sense. Ironically, the gas cards actually are more lucrative the lower prices are just on a a relative percentage kind of basis because a lot of the times what you'll see is you might get a 10 cent discount per gallon so you know if gas prices are two dollars a gallon that's going to be more lucrative on a percentage basis than if it was four dollars a gallon instead of the gas branded cards what i like in most cases is to get one of those um, general purpose travel cards that counts gas as one of their travel categories. Um, One good example is the Wells Fargo Propel card. So you can get 3% back on all of your gas spending as well as other travel and dining spend. So because it's on a percentage basis, a lot of times you'll come out ahead versus a $0.10 discount at a gas station. Um, But it does depend on your specific habits. Boy, so much to take into consideration, and of course, <laughs> don't cancel that card if <laughs> because you could uh, negatively impact your credit. But you know, there's so much to keep in mind with with credit cards and credit card. You think credit cards are probably, if they're not close to now, uh, they will be soon replacing cash altogether. We are seeing an ongoing shift towards plastic. I think one thing that's really going to intensify this is the rise of contactless cards. So those are the tap-and-go cards that many of us are starting to receive in the mail, and maybe you've seen some advertisements for them. They're coming to the transit system here in New York City, where I work, later this week. And contactless, I think, is going to further this shift away from cash, because it's so fast. That's the main benefit. It's just that it's so fast that you just tap, and it doesn't matter if it's a subway or if it's you know, a fast food restaurant or a grocery store or a pharmacy. It just really speeds up that transaction process, and I think people are going to like that. Our research has found that the number one thing that's holding people back, especially on small purchases from using their credit card, is that it just takes too long to dip that chip and wait 30 seconds. And I really think we're going to see a lot of the small value stuff move over to the tap and pay technology, especially as more of us get those cards in the mail. How safe is it, though? It's just as safe as chip cards. It runs on the same technology, so the same 
tokenization uh, really does a good job of protecting your information. If it were to be stolen, it's really akin to stealing an expired password, so it can't really do any harm. Uh, it really is a great technology that works hand-in-hand -hand with mobile payments and actually runs off the same terminal technology, the same retailer terminal as things like Apple Pay and Google Pay and Samsung Pay. Oh, what do you think about those uh, that those uh, stores that are, I guess they're experimenting with, where you just put the items in your cart and you just walk out the door and there's sensors in the store that, you know, detect the prices on the products that you have and just zaps your cart, I guess, while it's in your wallet or on your phone. That is pretty fascinating. I know Amazon's doing some of that. And uh, from what I hear, you know, it seems to be off to a good start. It really is shocking just that you could take some things off the grocery shelf and they know exactly what you took and what you owe. It's going to be a while before that becomes truly mainstream. But I think what all this is speaking to is reducing friction in payments. So whether it's that sort of Amazon pilot store or whether it's contactless cards or mobile payments or even like I was at Disney World a few months ago and Disney is really good at reducing friction in payments. So you get this wristband, this magic band that you just tap and it's your hotel room key it's got your credit card info stored on it. It's got your fast passes for all the rides that you're taking. It sounds futuristic, but I think something like that is actually closer to reality than we think. In some ways, it's already here in the form of Apple Watch, Apple Pay, services like that. Well, a lot to keep uh, track of. And, of course, everybody can go to bankrate.com for more information. I'm pretty sure you have it all laid out for them. That's right. Yeah, you can compare cards. And we also have a lot of helpful advice on getting out of debt. We have the ability to log in every month and get a free update of your credit score and credit report and really just help you out on your financial journey. Well, thanks so much for giving us all this valuable information. Ted Rossman, credit card analyst with Bankrate.com. And that's this edition of Conversations with Ken. I'm Ken Robinson. Thanks so very much for listening. And hey, don't forget to tell your friends about our podcast channel. And also, why not subscribe to the Ken Robinson Shows. This show is brought to you by Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing, the home of distinctive quality t-shirts. Mint Mobile, where you get talk, data, and text for just $15 a month. Coinbase, the best place to buy and sell cryptocurrency and first trade your first choice for free stock trading for details about this show and these fine sponsors go to krobcollection.com <laughs>